0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights. All in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome everybody. This is Sportbox, your headlines, crude prices, dip, OPEC, and the IEA warn of a build-up of supplies and the US investigates whether prices are being manipulated. This as President Biden calls on major consuming countries to release reserves. NVIDIA beats on the top and the bottom line amid strong demand for its AI chips, but Cisco falls short and cuts its revenue forecast.
1: Last quarter, our product orders grew 31%. This quarter, they grew 33% against a tougher compare from a year ago. So clearly, the momentum actually accelerated. And I think that's what matters, right? I mean, we do have supply chain challenges, but there, there's a global supply chain crisis.
2: Well, she's the acting chancellor these days. but The German acting chancellor, Angela Merkel, warns that the fourth wave of the pandemic is hitting the country with full force. As the Belgian prime minister, Alexander De Croo tells CNBC his country is battling a strong mutation of the virus.
0: What we see is that we're not fighting COVID-19 anymore. We're fighting COVID-21. What I want to say with that is that it's not the same virus anymore. This is a mutation of the virus, which is much more uh, infectious.
2: And Frau Merkel holds another phone call with the Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko. Amid high tensions at his country's border with Poland, the former U.S. National Security Advisor John Bolton tells CNBC there is one man behind the standoff.
3: I don't think that means necessarily entirely recreating the Soviet Union, although I think there are pieces of it he wants back. Belarus, I think he wants all of it back.
0: through the uh, ThyssenKrupp numbers these are the figures through for the third quarter from the German engineering company and let me just give you the headline ThyssenKrupp flagging profit recovery and talking about the listing of its hydrogen unit Uh, the company says operating profit could more than double in its current fiscal year as the business benefits from the economic recovery and a turnaround that will likely include a listing of its hydrogen division adjusted earnings before interest and tax expected at one and a half billion to 1.8 billion euros. So uh, that's a a reasonable uh, tweak on the range. The group says uh, up from 796 million a year earlier, uh, according to the steel to car parts group. Let me pull out some other interesting lines for you. They're talking about the enormous challenges that remain due to the semiconductor shortage and the coronavirus pandemic. The business says it expects a net profit of at least a billion euros in 2021-2022 as against the 25 million loss they re- reported in the year ago period. Uh, Tyson says free cash flow before MA to break even in 21-22 as against a negative 1.27 billion Euro in 2021. So an improvement in the free cash flow, an improvement in the operating profit outlook here. The group says fourth quarter order intake from continuing operations up uh, 71% at 14.31 billion euro, sales up 30% to 9.44 billion. And interesting, um, tyson says it is currently preferring to list its hydrogen unit in an IPO and to retain a majority stake. Uh, The group also says uh, a standalone solution offers the best prospects for Steel Europe and it's currently conducting a feasibility study on conditions needed for a spin-off of that business. So uh, here we get an update really on how the business continues to focus on how it sheds assets to focus on core.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, there is no doubt about it that Martina Merz's strategy has hit a cord, uh, a nerve with some of the investors out there. This is a stock that in March 2020, mm-hmm. uh, the, the depths of the well, the start of the crisis in Europe and of course the depth of the crisis in China over COVID as well, it was trading 381. Wow. three yeah, exactly, that is a whale. Wow. wow that is a wow because I, and, and well because you know exactly what, right. there was 25 euros in 2017. Mm. 25 euros down to 381 at mm. the depths of this crisis. Now, look, they're back a bit, but they're nowhere near where they were. They're about, well, they're 10, here we go, you can see on the screen, 10 euros per share. But but it's still a company that, whether it's the shareholders pushing it or the management strategy from now, Frau Merz, who've obviously mm. taken on a lot, the latest in a long line of illustrious German corporate titans to try and turn this one around, yeah. you're still only at 10 versus 25 three, four years ago. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, it's still a strategy where you sell off staff to either achieve better valuations or because the sum of the parts is mm. seen as rubbish by the investors. Think about what we've, where I've just been for the last
0: two weeks, back and forth, you know, um, looking at Glasgow.
2: Yeah, Glasgow. Just Cop- some,
0: for, for new viewers who haven't been watching, you've been in Glasgow. New viewers? We've got new viewers. Hopefully. Oh,
2: good. Anyway, COP26, it's all about, and, and the amount of people talking mm. about hydrogen as the great big next thing now i think there's a great debate to be had about the rainbow of colors of hydrogen because there's a lot of different colors out there about mm. we have blue hydrogen uh, purple hydrogen honestly it goes on and on but the, the one that is the nirvana is green hydrogen i.e when you can create hydrogen by using non-carbon uh, sources of energy and electrolysis is right at the key of this mm. They're selling this off, oh, keep a majority stable, but if you think this is the future, why would you sell off any of it if you think this is the future going
0: forward? Because sometimes you have to let your children run free and grow. And the argument, I mean, we, we, we all know the arguments. We've rehearsed them so many times. We work here. for GE, we know the argument. <clears throat> Absolutely. And, and GE is going through the very same process the at this point. The final throes of it. Yeah. And uh, we had a good conversation yesterday with somebody in the pri- private equity space who said, <laughs> um, you know, one of the challenges at the moment is um, are all segments of the business being valued appropriately based on the opportunity that they have from
2: private equity and
0: and look you can look at the the case of um, this business and you can argue that there are quite a lot of children in the business who would love to run free and grow and this hydrogen business is one of them and maybe the management of uh, ThyssenKrupp at this point just doesn't have the time or the bandwidth to focus on the opportunity. We are talking about one of the German conglomerate (coughs)
2: titans of all time absolutely. They haven't got the
0: time or the the bandwidth to let it grow my argument my my interest in this story is slightly different to yours but it is connected to something we were talking about off-air which is Chinese debt and the focus on the Chinese economy because there's a very interesting point here where you look at Germany you look at the German engineering sector and you look at the opportunity for the share prices to grow here and you ask yourself does a slowdown in China represent a handbrake or at least many speed bumps for the German engineering sector, which, as we know, has had a terrific two decades on the back of selling uh, semi-finished product or machinery into the Chinese economy for them to finish products. And that would be my question. I know you're asking the question about spinning off assets that could be worth a lot more and whether that would improve the share price performance. My question is, can the share price performance get a lot better from here if we get stagflation or a slower glide path on Chinese growth?
2: You're not going to private equity
0: anytime soon, are you, or venture capital? You sound uh, like you're, you're a ha- great advertisement, ha- ha- there, mate. No, no. I mean, look. Just keep we had we had it. the conversation yesterday, uh, and that's. I mean, 30, what uh, private equity now represents thirty percent of all M and A activity, and it's not that number's not going down. It's only going up. Wow. So, I mean, it's an I important. Force. What they
2: send back to the equity market when they finish with the restructuring on some of these companies. It's always such a lovely offering they offer us back. We've oh, got to move on now. That's it? sarcastic. Mm, yeah. I loved your headline, yeah, by the no. way. It was asking some big questions about it? the
0: oil sector. It made me talk uh, abs- a little bit. Well, you know. I mean it's so funny isn't it the Americans have finally decided that well, you the think oil there's some price manipulation might be in the big. oil
2: market how does that work what you mean you get a group of big countries together that control yeah. about 90% of world oil production or 60% something like that yeah. or 60% of reserves 40% of production right. you get them together and they set a price or set a set a, a production limit and you think mm. there might be manipulation wow how does that work I know. US President Joe Biden has requested the Federal Trade Commission investigate here we go energy companies over recent price hikes. The recent spike in gas prices saw uh, them reach a 7-year high with car owners feeling the crunch. Uh, amid rising prices at the pump now mr biden penned the request in a letter to the ftc chair lena khan saying there's quote mounting evidence of anti-consumer behavior by oil and gas companies oh my goodness Uh, the letter referred to exxon and chevron's growing market cap and improved payouts amid the pandemic Hmm. okay so oil price goes up oil companies go up in value Mm. give more money to their shareholders and this is a revelation to someone on capitol hill in congress in, in, in washington uh... the white house is calling on some of the world's largest energy consumers to tap into their oil reserves to ease the burden of rising global prices china's state reserve bureau said it's already working on a release of crude oil, while South Korea's industry ministry uh, confirmed it had received the request. Hadley, Hadley, this is startling stuff. Oil companies' market cap goes up as the oil price goes up. (laughs) They give more money to shareholders. uh, But the president now thinks there might be some manipulation of price somewhere in the global system. Extraordinary stuff.
1: Yeah, God forbid anybody make any actual money. I think this is certainly uh, playing to the narrative. Um, prices and politics, President Biden uh, in trouble, essentially, under major pressure back at home in the United States when you have gas prices in some states at almost $5 a barrel. And of course, what happened just a couple of weeks ago in Virginia, Terry McAuliffe losing to the Republican there and worries, frankly, about the midterm. So this is about politics as well as prices, of course, for the president. Now, another big Big question in all of this has been for weeks now whether or not OPEC was going to take a call from Washington. Were they actually going to have a real conversation about the market? And apparently, OPEC has decided not to take the president's calls. Listening to what the UAE's energy minister had to say to me yesterday, I asked him specifically, would you take a call from Joe Biden?
3: We have made it clear uh, the United States is
0: a very important ally. And uh, we uh, we we are working with them in so many fronts, as uh, as well as China as well as India. I received calls from different ministers uh, calling for doing something, but we shared with them the data. And I think I think uh, unless uh, something uh, extraordinary happened, uh,
3: they, they we will follow the technical. We will follow the facts, and we are collaborating, sharing our data.
1: Now, as you guys know, I just spent a week talking to the oil majors, I talked to industry insiders, I talked to producers, I talked to ministers about all of this and the prospect of President Biden tapping into the SBRs, to the Strategic Petroleum Reserves, and no one seemed to think that this was going to be the best solution uh, to his problems, his political problem there. Um, but at the same point, remember, I spoke to Occidental CEO as well. Um, she was the lone sort of American voice um, at Adepec this past week, and I essentially just asked her, you know, do you think it's a mistake for the Biden administration to be going ahead hand to OPEC to fix this problem um, when when he could be talking to his own oil and gas industry at home. And she said, hey, listen, the president should not make uh, this an international call. He should talk to his friends. He should talk. He should go local, if you will. So a lot of questions, frankly, about um, uh, the Biden team's uh, thought process on this one, at the very least, guys. Uh, Excellent, Hadley.
2: Thank you very much indeed. Gosh, we've covered a lot already, but we've got a brilliant guest for you. I can see him waiting for us, uh, waiting um, to give us some amazing comments about the market. Okay, the three-tenths of 1% lower than NASDAQ, as indeed was the S&P, uh, the Dow was down 211 points. It was the energy companies that just saw an abating. We've talked about this a lot. I won't go on too much about it, but the energy sector of stocks fell 1.7% yesterday. Treasuries, again, they've abated a little bit from that 160, 1.6 handle. Uh, 159 is the handle on the 10-year now, the two-year still at 0.5. And the 30 years just lost its two handle, but only by a margin, 1.98% is your yield there. Let's have a look at the dollar crosses as well. the pound found a little bit of a firmer footing after that extraordinary inflation data yesterday, 13490 uh, the euro phew, still only trading 113 versus the greenback as well. Uh, dolly yen, dollar yuan trading at 114.17 and 6.38 respectively. Asian indices, I did see the Nikkei was in negative territory, but only by three temps. The Hang Seng's lost 1.3, the Shanghai Composite also in negative territory, uh, a mild gain on your uh, Australian blue chips on the ASX. 200. Well, let's get to David Newhauser, who's the CEO of Livermore Partners. Uh, David, uh, and you have me at hello almost, uh, to, 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 to quote from Jerry Maguire. Inflation is worsening and the Fed is behind the curve. What are the ramifications of this, sir? Good, good day to you. I think it's good night. Good morning. I don't even know what it is
3: where you are. Yeah, th- thanks, uh, Steve. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I think inflation, as you stated, is, is getting hotter and hotter as the year has gone on. And there seems to be no stopping it. So I think the the question is, you know, we, we already know the Fed's behind the curve. And the question is, you know, at what point do they step in or can they step in? And I think that's something that's up for debate today.
0: David, where do we go from here, though? Because the uh, the market is focused on um, who's going to be the next uh, head of the Fed. There's that kind of swirling around here, but there does seem to be uh, an underlying message that strategy is not going to change. So uh, as much as uh, some in the market like yourself may be unhappy with what the Fed's doing, you've got to live... With the narrative that they're giving us. Um, How are you positioning at the moment, given given that we're all also seeing an awful lot of
3: frothiness
0: in markets?
3: Yeah, no no doubt, Jeff. I mean, I think, you know, we've been positioned the the same way uh, throughout this uh, uh, COVID, which is, you know, we've been long a lot of uh, commodity names, uh, especially, you know, with our theme and energy, as you discussed earlier, with the massive amounts of underinvestment through the year. So, you know, that's led to a perfect storm. And along with COVID, well, the stresses that have happened within the supply chain, and then uh, the economy uh, bursting out um, from COVID, you know, we've obviously seen uh, demand accelerate uh, for goods and services throughout the globe, uh, including energy, that's caused prices to spike. And, and now, as you discussed, we're starting to see more and more job-owning uh, to try to get prices lower, so we're staying with that commodities uh, theme. Uh, any everything from agriculture to oil and gas, and uh, you know the fund's doing well this year, up about twenty percent. And you know it, it's a challenge because there's still true value in the markets today, uh, even with all the dislocations uh, abound. And it's it's becoming uh, a bit uh, you know more cautious. You have to become more tepid because, as you described. Uh, it looks like the Fed is uh, one move away from uh, a potential uh, disastrous policy mistake. And if so, that could derail the whole bull narrative here. Um, David, um, are you
0: staying in uh, this um, uh, London-listed oil producer, Jade Stone Energy? As you heard, we started the program talking about how uh, Joe Biden now feels it's important to investigate whether the price headline price of oil is being manipulated. Does that change in any any way your view towards oil and gas companies
3: no not at all i mean i think he's very limited on what he could truly do i mean as you described you know uh tapping the spr uh, i think is a big mistake simply because it's a short-term fix on something that uh is going to have long-term consequences i mean uh, companies like jade stone are oil producers you know with lean balance sheets with net cash position and uh with a growing thirst of uh, demand in Asia, where they're focused. I mean, that's almost like the perfect type of cash machine. So you know we're very happy in terms of jade stone. And I think it would be, again, an error uh, on judgment politically to try to look to, um, you know, tap the SPR to get prices down. I mean, there's just a structural issue, as you know, with oil and gas, where there's been this lack of investment Uh, For years and years, banks are turning off the spigot on lending and investors as well have been uh, more focused on capital returns. And I think those in the space, you know, within the hedge fund land, especially um, who have been investing on some of these companies uh, in the downturn are starting to obviously reap the rewards of it. So I'm very happy in that respect. But I think all the things you and I have discussed in the past 18 months with the Biden plan and, and increasing stimulus dramatically, the the the, the supply issues that are bottleneck throughout and now with growing and growing uh, inflation again we're at a point now where um, you could see real true uh, policy here and that could that could really cause. Um, the markets due to, to a downturn and david i
0: was interested in your current short positions ark tesla and facebook uh, michael burry we learn has closed his short bets against ark and tesla um, why do you still think there is money to be made on the short side of the ledger i mean we just had perma clark shutter his fund recently um you still think there's an opportunity
3: here to make money on the short side You know, I I do, because I mean, I think if you look at some of the dynamics, even this week in the EV sector, I mean, you know, Tesla is the leader of the pack. And we know that for for a fact. Uh, I think they've, you know, they've ramped up in the past few years, which has been spectacular, to say the least. And then now you're starting to see more and more competition. You're seeing more and more, you know, companies that are starting to get valuations in the billions. I mean, many billions like uh, Rivlin. And they don't even, you know, they're producing very little vehicles today. So it, it reminds me uh, that there's massive frothiness in the markets and in specific areas, you know, in specific uh, sectors uh, like EV. Uh, and I think at some point in time, uh, you're going to see more uh, of a downturn and people are going to start to feel some of that pain. So, you know, historically, when you look at bubbles and speculation, there's always seems to be, you know, a sector or a class that tends to be sort of the poster child, I'll say. And it seems like EV to me is, is one of them, but overall it seems like, you know, many, there's many tech companies that are trading at like 15 times sales and they don't have a plan to even getting to profitability. Uh, so those are the companies we think still, you know have the most uh, downside on a washout or a black swan type event. Again, going back to a policy year in terms David, of uh, the Federal Reserve.
2: I like you and Jeff. I am flabbergasted by 15 time sales, and just for viewers to understand, that's 15 time 15 years of sales for these companies. Forget about profits. So we we're, we're, we're buying growth so far in the future; it's absolutely bonkers as well. But but in terms of the long short on this one as well, I mean, when I look at the OEMs, who are. Perfectly, um, have have their own issues, of course, but they do produce electric vehicles in some scale, unlike Rivian and Lucid, uh, and, and yet have trade on single-digit forward multiples as well in terms of PE, etc. Is there a long-short trade to be had by shorting some of these uh, hugely uh, pumped-up prices of electric car makers and, and buying the OEMs?
3: You know, historically, it's funny you you mentioned that, uh, Steve, because. Historically, if you tried to, to do that in the past, I would say, you know, three years, you know, there's been several uh, prominent hedge fund managers that have been, you know, shorting Tesla, for example, and then buying GM. I mean, you're just getting uh, your head handed to you in that regard. But the interesting thing I'll say today is uh, given there's been so much focus on EV. Um, you are starting to see the likes of General Motors and Ford, especially that have a sold out uh, product line on EV. I mean, they are starting to trade much better, you know, Ford almost at a 52 week high and the like. So the question really is, you know, that sort of pairs trade, as you described, maybe being along some of the OEMs uh, that there's no doubt are going to intensify with competition. And being short some of the, the real true high flyers. I mean, I think that on a go forward basis, if you put that on uh, very recently, um, it, it is going to pay off, I think, as you as you look forward.
2: Uh, David, just a final word on liquidity as well. If we are seeing uh, a meaningful tightening going on as well, is there a liquidity event somewhere in the market that is in the offing?
3: Yeah, so th- that's the big question. So, you know, every time you talk about, hey, we're going to have this massive correction or there could be a black swan event, as we're saying, I mean, something has to tick, you know, and and all of a sudden, uh, you know, kind of go over the edge, so to speak, to, to cause that to happen. And it's usually something that's extremely unforeseen. So the reason why I keep describing that, hey, there could be a policy here on the offing as we go into 2022 is we know that the Fed narrative in the past year has been inflation has been transitory. It's all due to COVID. It's all due to supply chain. And as soon as we start getting people back in the workforce, as soon as, you know, the cargo ships start moving forward, you know, all this is gonna straighten itself out. So, you know, it's a short term uh, event. And I think as we get to the end of 2021 today, you know, Livermore's thesis is correct in which, you know, inflation is here, it's hot and it's red hot. And as we move forward, if we don't see action taken by the Fed, which I think they're very limited to do, um, you know, there's going to be some true pain in the markets, and that ultimately will fall on the consumers. So I can't tell you exactly what's going to tick that box to cause it, um, but I'm being very uh, wary in terms of where we are on market valuations, especially. Uh, and today we're we're you know we're focused again on our key themes within specific. Commodity companies that have real earnings and are traded at real valuations, which uh, are very attractive still.
2: David, we'll let you uh, crack on. It's, what, 20 past midnight in uh, Illinois, so uh, we'll leave you there. Thank you very much indeed for that. David Newhouser, who is the CEO at Livermore Partners.
0: Uh, Still to come on the program, a probe into defeat devices at Continental hits the boardroom. We'll talk some more about that when we come back.
2: And for more on President Biden's attempts to lower energy prices, check out the CNBC podcast. It's rather good today, I'm told. Amazon has, oh, this was great. Did you see this row yesterday? Amazon has announced it will stop accepting Visa credit cards, not debit, but credit cards issued in the UK from January. The e-commerce giant said the decision was due to, quote, egregious transaction prices. Uh, Visa has defended its pricing, saying that on average it takes less than 0.1% on the value of goods purchased. I've seen a, a one handle on what uh, the other side is saying. Anyway, adding it's disappointed that Amazon is restricting consumer choice. The spat could also see Amazon dropped Visa as its partner for its own branded US uh, card, US credit card. I think mean, it's a fantastic
0: debate between well, it used to two be. very large companies. Well, it used to be American Express that had the issues, didn't it? You walk in, you'd pull out an American Express card, still, and they go, still a bit you no, Have you got it? something else? Maybe a Mastercard or a Visa? Yeah, and yeah interesting. No. Interesting that it's going this way because let's let's face it, payment transaction now it's it's is. At. So many businesses are in it that actually the cost should be coming down very sharply, um, and it went so up you get after the sense.
2: Brexit didn't it? Because well, they weren't restricted by European Union rules in the UK anymore.
0: Yeah, but you get the sense that I mean, if we think about the old uh, uh, economic language of moats, that this moat has well and truly been breached.
2: It has, it has, and of course Apple, 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 Apple and Amazon mm. want to migrate people to their own. Um, payment systems. Yeah, funny that. Yeah, funny that. <laughs> uh, Continental has dismissed its uh, chief financial officer Wolfgang Scheffer uh, following uh, a probe by prosecutors into the use of emissions defeating devices. Well, that's fascinating. In a statement, the car parts maker said it continues to cooperate with authorities over the investigation, which saw two of its premises raided by authorities last year. The CEO Nikolai Setzer. Uh, will assume financial responsibilities in the
0: interim. Uh, tech stocks are uh, suffering their worst day in three weeks in Hong Kong after Baidu added to concerns in the sector. The Chinese search giant warned beijing's regulatory crackdown will hit ad revenue in the months ahead it posted a beat on the top and the bottom lines on the third quarter revenue of thirty one point nine billion yuan just shy of five billion dollars alibaba next up due to post its latest quarterly numbers before the market open in new york target shares fell wednesday despite beating expectations the big box retailer opted to Focus on value as prices of groceries, fuel and other goods rise, saying it will absorb some of the higher costs. Comparable sales climbed 12.7% against expectations of an 8.2% jump. The company also lifted its fiscal fourth quarter forecasts. Nvidia shares rising in extended trade. The chipmaker beat expectations on both the top and the bottom line in the third quarter. The US company boosted by strong data center sales, up 55% compared to a year ago.
2: Cisco shares sank in extended trade after the Network Systems Group slashed its revenue forecast for the year. Cisco said it's grappling with higher expenses. Uh, I'm sure they're transitory, uh, and a backlog of hardware orders on the back of the global squeeze on semiconductor suppliers and higher logistics costs. I'm sure they're just temporary as well. Oh, I saw some interesting price increases yesterday. I'll come to those in a minute. Uh, but the company is still sticking to its overall growth target of 5 to 7% for the fiscal year. Speaking to CNBC, the CEO, uh, Chuck Robbins, said he's confident the company will continue to achieve growth despite the supply bottlenecks.
1: We all recognize that the supply chain challenges are out there. I think the good news is is that while we saw some deterioration in the first half of the quarter, we saw it stabilize in the second half of the quarter, and we expect this quarter it will remain stable, and then we expect the second half of our fiscal year that we should begin to see some slight improvement. Not what we ultimately want, but we believe we will see some slight improvement, which allows us to uh, remain confident in that full-year guide.